So welcome, Eve, to our podcast, Season 8 of The Full Circle, Finding Your Way Home. I'm delighted that you're here. Thank you for having me. It's really nice to meet you in person. I know. We've spoken lots virtually and I've spent some time together over the last couple of years, but not in person. So welcome to reality. (laughs) Yes, I didn't realise you had legs before, so it's great. (laughs) So today we are talking about how you navigate with ADHD. Yeah and how that has an impact on your wellness. Yeah. So I thought what would be really good is maybe for me to hand it over to you, just yeah. to do a little bit of introduction to share a little bit more about who you are and what you do. And then maybe we can rewind a little yeah. bit um, to find out a little bit more about your backstory and what's led you to where you are today. Sure, thank you. So uh, I work in business transformation, strategy and transformation. Um, and I'm also a qualified performance coach. So I spend a lot of time coaching the people in my organisation and also some people outside of it. Um, I have worked for the same organisation for most of my adult life, but in many, many different roles. Uh, And I'm really passionate about driving change within that organisation and actually within the industry I work in more broadly. At home, uh, I live with my husband, Tim, and two kids. So two boys, uh, one of whom is about to turn 13 and the other has just turned 11. Uh, both of the boys and I are neurodivergent, which uh, adds a certain energy to the household, mm-hmm. which we'll come on to describe in more detail. Um, and also, uh, I'm sure we will talk about later in my spare time, I love to learn and I love to exercise. Good. So welcome, as we've said. So tell us a little bit more then around, maybe a little bit more about your backstory, because obviously sure. you're in this really really good leadership role now you've you know been like you said part of the organization for quite a long time but tell me a little bit more around um maybe your diagnosis and and how that came about yeah sure so um actually i i knew very little about neurodivergence um and my son who's now 13 started to display signs of what i thought was dyspraxia Mm -hmm. so in 2018 um we sought a diagnosis for that and i very smugly was told uh, by an educational psychologist who does have dyspraxia and I felt very proud that I'd managed to identify that and she said I think he also has ADHD uh, and I kind of dismissed it and said oh I don't think that's possible and she said but that's because your biases tell you that's um, something where people run around yeah. uh, misbehave in class which wasn't my son at all um, and actually I started to research into it uh, and it sounded a great deal like me. So um, it might be useful if it's okay to just um, do a little bit of myth busting on ADHD. Is that okay? Yeah, of course it is. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So the first thing is ADHD stands for Attention Deficit Hyperactivity Disorder. Uh, And actually deficit isn't really an appropriate word for it, in my opinion, at least. It's not a deficit. Someone with ADHD is able to focus, able to have attention. It's a dysregulation. Mm -hmm. So if someone with ADHD finds something interesting, if it fuels dopamine for them, they hyper-focus. And I see a lot of that in my life. So I am very curious about many, many topics. And when something piques my curiosity, I can absolutely Mm hyper-focus on those things. Um, And there are two primary types of ADHD. So there is the hyperactive type, which is kind of the one that would uh, show itself on television, in television dramas, naughty kids, essentially, Mm -hmm. slightly Mm -hmm. disruptive kids at school. 
Hyperactivity can come in different forms. So yes, it can be disruptive, especially when needs aren't being met, but it can also be someone that fidgets with something in their hands, spins in their chair. Our brains can be hyperactive as well as our bodies. And an inattentive type. So an inattentive type, typically someone gets lost inside of their own head. Mm -hmm. And one of the first things that educational psychologists said to me that day was, um, I'm not saying your son um, is running around a classroom behaving yeah. like an aeroplane, mm -hmm. mm -hmm. but he gets lost inside his own head and the impact on him is the same. And sometimes it's more tricky in that way to get um, support that mm -hmm. you need. And actually, I have a combined type. So I'm both hyperactive and inattentive. And how did you discover that about yourself? So uh, that's a really good question. So having researched uh, my son's um, conditions in more detail and increasingly thinking they sounded like me, mm -hmm. I actually started to just assume I had it, actually. Uh, and I didn't do much more about it. We can come on to discuss how I think it's probably been the making of me. Okay. However... Uh, I sought diagnosis for two reasons. One, because my son asked mm -hmm. and said, is it because you're ashamed that you don't want to know? And that's there's an power that's, in that. It's an interesting uh, question to be asked. Quite. Yeah. <laughs> and because uh, my coping strategies weren't working so well anymore. Right. So um, when I saw the psychiatrist who diagnosed me, he said, um, and I'm, I always kind of cringe as I say this, but um, I, I'm very clever. Mm -hmm. uh, so th as the psychiatrist put it, you're very smart and you came up with your coping strategies very young. Yeah. And now you're trying to apply the same coping strategies to a family of neurodivergent people. Mm -hmm. And that's tough. Right. Combine that with the perimenopause, which um, for many women exacerbates their ADHD mm -hmm. symptoms. So particularly things around brain fog, yeah. for example. And so my strategies that I'd always kind of said, this has been the making of me, were starting to fail me and it was leading to anxiety. And so I sought a diagnosis to really understand a bit more about who I am and and how I can support myself. Amazing. So can you tell me just a little bit more then around how your coping, so talk me through some of the coping strategies that you had and then what was happening that wasn't making them work in the same way. Yeah, so if I go way back to when I was at school, um, I would quite often kind of lose my thread, lose where we were, the teacher might ask a question and I wouldn't, on reflection, I wouldn't quite know where I was. But I always got really good feedback at school. It was like I was made for school. Mm -hmm. uh, although teachers would say I was a chatterbox and a fidget, actually probably all signs of hyperactivity. Yeah. Um, but essentially, because I'm smart and because I use inference a lot as a coping strategy, a teacher would ask me a question about where we were in the book and I'd respond with another question. Uh -huh. I'd say, well, I just wonder if that's what we should be thinking about when Thatcher's doing what she is to the country. <laughs> what do you think about that? And I would essentially uh, ask, respond <laughs> with another question. There's, there's a theme to this, you'll, you'll notice. Um, and you, you had to think really hard about those questions because they couldn't be facetious ones. Of course. You know, they had to be good questions. But as a consequence, teachers would say, she's so engaged, she thinks beyond the topic. Actually, I was just trying to distract them because I was distracted myself. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, that's the reality. Um, 
people assume I'm organized. So at work, I'll get feedback about the fact mm -hmm. I'm organized. Actually, if I often, if I don't do it now, it will be forgotten forever. Right. So um, how that looks is I'm really responsive and I keep on top of it, but actually that's really effortful. And that's where um, things started to take their toll more. Right. Um, so I, I, to keep on top of that organization for a whole family is different, right? That ask is different. And so the demands are greater and it gets tougher. Yeah. Um, so I've just um, care a little less sometimes about some things. I use lots and lots of tech to keep me organized, reminders in my phone, Outlook, all of that yep. stuff. Um, so I've just tweaked some of mm -hmm. those strategies and I'll keep learning and keep curious. Uh, and we can talk much more about questions and, and how well they serve me through mm -hmm. my career. Mm -hmm. All right, lovely. So when those, when maybe for example, the, the strategies weren't working, how is that showing up in your family? Because obviously like you said, there is, it's all right looking after you yeah. doing that and that's fine but then when you've got two of the children and yourself in the household yeah who have similar challenges yeah what what was showing up for so for um, the family so we're a very empathetic household like we've got so so one of um the traits of adhd is a kind of heightened empathy mm -hmm. uh so we're quite an empathetic household but we could be quite across household at times as well uh so just trying to navigate that and being really and i think that's something that comes through for quite a lot of perimenopausal women mm -hmm. as well right so just being open with the rest of the family about that being clear about when you're finding something tough yeah um i, I mean it sounds a bit trite but actually talking about it and verbalizing some of those things so my boys i i know will kind of be served well into adulthood because they they are empathetic humans and they understand emotions in a way that I think is really helpful. So mm. we just keep talking. And I think though that regardless of the diagnosis, yeah, I actually think that's most probably a really good way, right, to yeah, run a family so. and a household. I would have thought good communication, empathy, yeah, ability to listen and to understand, yeah. And sometimes it doesn't. Sometimes it doesn't work, and we of shout course. at each other. Yeah, <laughs> but I think. That that might also be normal as well in other households that might not have, been, have so much you know, kind of neurodiversity in the yeah. household. So tell me then how, how is this, well, has it affected your wellness? Well, yeah. So at different points in my life, I realise now on reflection. So for example, I'll say it again, I'm super smart. I'm academic. I was kind of made for school. I didn't go to university. Mm -hmm. And part of the reason for that, like I just didn't want to learn in that classroom environment anymore. Like I couldn't sit still and learn that way yeah. anymore. And actually I burnt out. So I did well in my A-levels, but I did burn out when I was doing my A-levels. Um, and that was, uh, so I did have a place at university. I deferred it for a year and actually got promoted three months into my job to the graduate training scheme. And then that was it. But that was ultimately a consequence of a burnout. Mm -hmm. Um and now I just need to be um, very clear about my needs and kind to myself. So um, during uh, work, I give my all. Like if I'm interested in it, I give my all. And that's, again, that's a, that's a part of being an enthusiastic employee, but it's also a part of the dysregulation of ADHD. Um, 
So I can't switch it. It's almost like not a choice. Mm. I'm all in. But all in means you end up with brain fatigue, actually, yeah. at the end of the day. So I am a noisy person that likes quiet spaces. So uh, people will talk about my energy and, uh, you know, I'm noisy and some people like that and some people don't. But then at the end of the day, I often need a quiet space where it's just me and a blanket mm. and a, a bit of escape. So um, being mindful of that and okay with that, I think is, and okay with the contradiction of that. Yeah. If that makes sense. So uh, it does. Mm -hmm. uh, I like noise. I also like peace. Yeah. Um, and then like socially, I'm really not good at small talk. I can do it for work because you have to when you meet new clients or whatever yeah. it might be. Um. I find it really draining. And so it's helpful to just know that mm. and know that the way that I deal with social situations is often siphon off one person and instantly get their life story. Yeah. Mm -hmm. <laughs> but again, I, I would beat myself up about that before. And actually, that's okay. So coming to terms with some of that stuff is very helpful. And tell me what makes that important to you? Because I don't want to judge myself unfairly for that. Like some people are really very good at small talk and I admire them, but I find it quite tedious um, and would assume like, and would judge myself unfairly, judge myself and kind of say, think to myself, why can't you do that better? Actually, it's okay. And actually what I'm getting is a more, or what I believe to be a more authentic mm -hmm. um view on someone yeah. it just means i don't get to find out very much about what's happening on television and where people are going on holiday <laughs> well maybe that's not necessarily too bad is it <laughs> so obviously you know going through like you said um kind of embarking on the menopause as well yeah um it does require you to take care of yourself so yeah. those are some of the things that you do just normally yeah but have you had any challenges with your neurodiversity around your wellness knowing yeah. like for example when to stop when not to and yeah what things have shown up for you so far genuinely i think it's largely been the making of me but i've had to hone skills around it so for example at work people will say she's really brave she calls out the elephant in the room <laughs> Again, there's a big thing around questions. So I remember getting some appraisal input that I really liked that was um, looks for the right answers, not the easy ones. And I feel like I feel really proud of that. But actually, that comes from, an, I think, in part at least, from an impulsivity that exists right. with ADHD. And I would be saying that stuff anyway. What I've had to do is hone the communication skills around right. it to be able to deliver news of the elephant in the room in a way that lands appropriately. Mm -hmm. And that's quite like, that's tough. That is a skill set to learn. And I think I've, I really think I have, but it, you know, it, that takes time and practice and yeah. constant practice. So obviously I don't have ADHD. So yeah. but what I'm hearing though, is that actually there's a lot of thought and a lot of I would say quite a lot of mindfulness approaches to, to and, and conscious approaches to how you communicate, how you, how you um, maintain the right level of empathy, how you make, maintain the right level of attention and, yeah. and your impact and presence, especially in a working environment, feels like that actually is quite, quite a challenge. 
Um, some some of it, per the psychiatrist, like those coping strategies have come quite naturally, but now I need to hone them and now I play yeah. with them. Mm -hmm. And others, it is, it's an investment of time and, and thinking about that actually that matters. Like my organisation, um, I, I do need to focus on that and think about it. My emotional regulation it is important. Like mm -hmm. I have to, I have to listen to it and, and take it seriously, or I can be overly empathetic and that's not helpful either. So yeah, yeah so it does, it does require some thought. Um, I guess it's thought that people should be applying anyway, like some of, of this stuff. It's mm -hmm. a bit like teaching neurodivergent children in school. A lot of it is just really good practice. Yep. Um, but yeah, it's, it's, it's a lot. Mm. So you've mentioned a few times that this has kind of been actually most probably a really good thing yeah. for you. Do you want to share a little bit more around that? Yeah. So, um, so in my appraisal input, again, the types of thing I tend to get are high energy, empathetic, creative problem solver, able to make connections. And especially that sort of problem solving and those connections, that is traits mm -hmm. of ADHD. Um, and that's been the making of me. I mean, that is how I work in transformation. That's how I'm so interested in um, observing and helping organisations and people to change. Like I find that very, very interesting and I'm very good at it because of those traits. Um, the flip side is I can't do things that bore me. Right. <laughs> I can't, I, like it's hard to get the dopamine um, to, to invest in the things that bore me. So I have to find... Uh, the ways, because there are always boring elements mm -hmm, to every mm -hmm. job, I, I just have to find the ways to get through those. Uh, but other than that, yeah, I genuinely think it has been the making of me. I'm quite quite positive about it. But what I'm hearing is that uh, is a real deep sense of um, self-awareness. Yeah, maybe. Because it feels to me that as you're speaking about things, you, you, you have got strategies, they've worked for you, you've honed them a little bit because they needed to be tweaked a little yeah. bit but actually what i'm hearing is that you kind of or it feels to me that you actually do really quite know yourself and know how you operate but not everybody does right yeah who've been diagnosed yeah. especially as a maybe later on in their adulthood in particular yeah um so i suppose you know from from your perspective have you got any kind of tips or guidance on on what might help people specifically around the coping strategies. Yeah, for anyone that thinks they might be neurodivergent, I, I was blessed because I was researching it because mm -hmm. of my son. So I would urge people to explore it, read about mm -hmm. it. They'll start to discover something about themselves potentially. And then where possible, and this I say this from a position of privilege, but diagnose it seek diagnosis so that's interesting because a lot of people don't think well i've got to this age in my life or i'm down i'm here what's the point in getting diagnosis so what's your take on why is that so important so i firmly believe people are labeling themselves yeah all the time mm -hmm. anyway it's just they're labeling themselves as anywhere from the stupid one to the chatterbox to the one that can't focus through a whole meeting whatever that label might be that's really interesting and I think establishing what the actual label is and therefore what might work and what might help you to 
cope better, I think is yeah. really powerful. Because I'm assuming some of those narratives like I'm um, the chatterbox or I'm silly or whatever it might be, I'm stupid or whatever it could be, those messages can have a real, I'm assuming quite a negative impact if you remind yourself of those too many, too many times. Quite, couldn't agree more. And so how have you used this to your advantage? So I love to ask great questions. Like I've, as I was thinking about today, I had this kind of epiphany that the thread that runs through are questions. Mm -hmm. So at school, I use questions really as a coping strategy. In my work, you know, seeks uh, the right answers, not the easy ones, mm -hmm. by asking questions. Often by um, addressing the elephant in the room and often to some quite senior people, um, it's much easier to land at with a set of questions that has someone reach a conclusion for themselves rather than call it out yourself. Yeah. Um, and then uh, with coaching, like there is nothing I find more satisfying. I love to coach. I find it very energizing. Uh, and I love those moments where someone goes, oh, that's a great question or that's not a question. Oh, I've not thought about that before. Like mm -hmm. that, uh, they're so like, they're the magic moments for mm -hmm. me. Now, have you had any, and obviously there's been plenty of challenges along the way, but what has been the biggest, most significant moment for you where you've really had to kind of step back and take stock? So I think less so for me. Uh, I think it is uh, fighting for my children. Right. So helping my children to navigate this. Um, one of my children has uh, much more extreme needs, I would okay. say, than me. Um, he reminds me of me in many, many ways. Um, but helping him to navigate that and um, really that's an endless fight, an endless fight and the need to speak truth to power. Um, and you regularly have to take stock okay. of that mm -hmm. and that will go on probably for many years to come. Um, and it's tough, uh, but it's worth it. And how do you help them with their well-being then? We uh, have lots of uh, humour in our household, I think is really helpful. We are champions of neurodiversity. So we're really positive about it. Uh, when my younger son was diagnosed with dyslexia, I genuinely remember he leapt in the air and said, you mean I'm not stupid? Mm -hmm. And the older son said, I'm the neurodivergent one in this house and stormed out the room. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so we really celebrate that. And then we do some very practical things. So lots of exercise. Yeah. Uh, lots of language to be able to verbalize this stuff. So my children are really able to talk about their bilateral coordination mm -hmm. and uh, their proprioception and all sorts of quite technical language, but that helps them to articulate how they are feeling and the struggles they're mm -hmm. having. Um, so we do lots of core strength work, lots of bouncing on trampolines and swimming and badminton yep. and mm -hmm. all of that stuff. And do you do that as well for yourself? Yeah, so exercise is uh, a big deal for me. I'm no triathlete, mm -hmm. um, but I exercise a lot in my own way. So I've gone from kind of exercising whatever the weather in the dark, boot camp in a park, to a sort of luxe gym, mm -hmm. uh, because it, <laughs> that suits my wellness at this stage in life better. But I try and get there sort of four times a week. Yeah.
So tell me why is exercise so important? So I think uh, technically speaking, it releases dopamine and, and ADHD um, sort of inhibits the yep. production or absorption of dopamine. So I think literally that's why it helps. Uh, and sometimes at the end of the day, when I'm tired and that brain fatigue we talked about, um, it can be a drag to get to the gym, but you never feel worse. Mm. I had a session last week where I'd had a really bad day and the instructor often kind of has banter with me and I had to go into the class and just say, not like, not tonight. Could you like, can I just hide tonight? And I went right to the back of the class, but I still did the class mm -hmm. and I came out feeling better. Yeah. And, and that's, that's the case every time. Yeah. Cause I think sometimes though, with the way that we are in the world, we're so busy, you know, you're juggling this work, this family, there's a range of other things that we have to get through on a day-to-day -day basis. Taking that time out for you. Yeah for you to be good within yourself, I think sometimes gets overlooked or dismissed. So from your perspective and knowing you mm -hmm. the way that you are, how have you kept that consistent? Uh, so uh, not always to be, to be open, but actually I am most of the time and it is just about sort of treating it like a client meeting in your diary, mm -hmm. like it has to happen and everything else can happen around it. So there is still time for the other stuff. But if you don't make time for that, everything else suffers. Yeah. That's that's the reality. And sometimes it doesn't work. Mm -hmm. This week, I'm so stretched in all directions. I am struggling with that. So I definitely don't want people to think I'm able to do that all the time. But I think it's about recognising the benefit. And if it has that benefit, then you have to make the time for it. So I suppose it's really listening to then your needs once yeah. desires and knowing what's what's good for you and what works best yeah. for you so when we think about your future then how does that look for you it's a good question uh it's hard to see past the next fortnight mm -hmm. uh because i'm in the thick of things right now uh but i want to keep asking great questions in whatever form it is i want to keep challenging organizations and individuals to um to want to change, to want to grow and to support them in doing that. When we think then just, because what's coming, I suppose just as a final observation is that I've said before already that I think there's a real sense of, deep sense of awareness, or that's certainly coming across for me. There's an understanding of what works well for you, what doesn't work well for you, what you love doing, what brings you more joy, especially in the workplace, like the questioning piece and the coaching and all of those things and helping people change and transform in that way. Um, but what I'm also wondering is, is is that it feels to me like you've actually got quite a good relationship with yourself. Well, it's very interesting that you say that because you're the second person to say it uh, in a, like a, in the last couple of weeks. And I, I, I don't, I, I've never been sort of cognizant of that before, uh, but perhaps there's something in it. And I do think um, like we're the only people, we are the only people we spend our entire lives with. <laughs> True. <laughs> we might as well be kind to ourselves. Mm. Uh, and I'm not always, but largely, I think, just, like, use kind words and actions on yourself because you spend a lot of time with yourself. Yeah. And why is that important for you? I, I just think it's really easy to get into a negative spiral mm. and actually no good comes of it, really. Uh, so we all have bad days. I have bad days. I have, uh, you know, moments when I wish I could do better and more and all of that stuff. But actually... Um, celebrating the good mm. comes with an energy that I find quite addictive. And is that a, an output from 
the diagnosis or is that just you? Really good question. It's impossible to pull us apart. Yeah, there you go. Mm -hmm. All right, lovely. So as we start to wrap up our conversation, and thank you so much, it's been so interesting. What what other things or tips or, or techniques do you think you could share? Because there's going to be people watching this who perhaps have got questions around their own diverse, um, neurodiversity. Um, there might be some people who've just been recently diagnosed. There might be people who've had it for a long time and, and very aware of it and are living very similar to how you're describing. Yeah. But but what has been, what's your golden nugget that sure. you could share? So I would say explore it, diagnose it, and then own it. Be clear about your needs. Uh, so... I used to go into sort of grown up meetings at work and I'd fidget and say my back was aching. And I realise now mm. actually it was my brain that needed to move. Uh, that's what helps me to concentrate. So I'm really comfortable with expressing those mm. needs. I find the office at times can be overstimulating. Yep. So I think about the type of work and the environment I need to be in to do that type of work. I'm clear about my needs uh, and I try and keep myself organised and I will use all the tech I can to support me in doing that. No one gets a gold star just by trying to keep it in their heads. And I love the fact of the owning it. I think yeah. I think there is something really bold and, and quite beautiful about owning it, owning yeah. who you are and, and really expressing that um, in the way that you've, you've, you've so nicely described today. So any learnings that you've had about yourself that is also worth sharing? Oh, that's a good question. Um, that I'm kinder to myself than I realise and I I understand, I do understand myself, but I'm always going to be curious to understand more because we're not static, hum we're not static beings. Mm -hmm. So um, understanding how I'm evolving and what that means for what I need now, I think that's an, a, a lifelong project. Mm -hmm. But it also feels with everything that you've said that acceptance seems to be at the heart of everything as yeah, well. Yeah, maybe. Yeah, maybe. That's. I mean, that's my word, not yours, but I'm, yeah. I just feel, it just kind of came to me there. And I thought, oh, it feels like there is a real strong acceptance of who you are and where you are in your life and what's working. Yeah, I hope so, actually. Yeah, and I want that for my children. Mm -hmm. And I think for my children to feel that, for my children to really feel that, I probably have to feel it authentically. Yeah and own it as well as yeah. you described yeah yeah mm -hmm. amazing well thank you so much for coming in it's been amazing to sit down and chat to you about this um anything else you want to say as any words of wisdom as you as we wrap up no uh thank you for having me and i really look forward to working with you on uh thinking about more great questions for the future <laughs> thank you well, what a great conversation that was with Eve Dixon. What I found really interesting was how she's able to navigate herself through her life, knowing with knowing about her diagnosis and supporting her own children to be the best version of themselves they can be. What really struck me about this conversation was her self-awareness, how Eve has really got to understand herself and accept all of those unique qualities and gifts that her ADHD has actually given her. Now, most of us might shy away from that and think perhaps there's something wrong with being overly curious, our mind not staying still for one moment. But what I found really interesting about Eve is how she's really lent in to those aspects of her personality and also her diagnosis and instead owned it completely. And I hope there's some great lessons there to learn, not just 
for those who aren't neurodivergent, but actually to think about how we can use those same principles for our own life, to understand ourselves, to accept ourselves, and then to own ourselves and show up in that way every day.